Welcome to season two of the Melrose Place cast. I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Teach that Melrose Place is a trashy, trashy soap opera, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, I'm Teach. I'm here to convince my good friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations, a time capsule into the future, and the future is now. The future is indeed now. And you know what's great is this is not a recap podcast because we're too busy having all these intellectual debates. Yes, we highly recommend that you pair us with your rewatch of Melrose Place. It will um, enhance the artistic integrity of the show. Mm, I guess that's one way to put it. You know, I can't believe we've made it to season two already. How far along are we in the grand scheme of things? Uh, we're about uh, 11%. That seems lower than I would like. Well, there's the seven seasons, plus the reboot season. Oh, God. Uh, this season had the lowest number of episodes. I guess that's forward to. And we only had five special episodes in season one, so season two is going to get longer. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Hello, and welcome to the Melrose Place cast. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, A Long Night's Journey. Ooh, provocative. I'm Mary. And I am Teej, and I am also provocative. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Mary, how did you feel about this episode? I thought it was pretty good. You know, a fair amount of things happened. It seemed well-constructed, you know, by comparison to some of the other ones. Are you just saying that because they referenced Rhonda? <laughs> oh, that did, did tug at my little heartstrings. My sweet Rhonda. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was high art for the generations. I really did. Oh. Uh, I c- captured a lot of things that were like time capsules for the future. That's for sure. I've got something to say there. And uh, just had some social commentary on the human condition that I can't wait to talk about with you. Well, God, we better get started then. It sounds like you have so many things to share. So many. Can I hit you with my first one? Yes. All right. It's again, as I am want to do, it is a direct quote. Are you ready? Yeah. Quote. Your flight leaves in five minutes. (laughs) So what had happened uh, was, um, as we discussed last week, Keith took Allison into her bedroom and very much appeared to be ready to date rape her. But Billy knocked down the door. This time Keith is leaving. He tells Allison he understands about Billy. He's getting out for good. He's going to, you know, wish her well and and asks Allison just to drive him to the airport. Billy's upset that she's doing this, but he respects the boundaries. Allison shows up at Keith's hotel where he has a fancy dinner laid out, kind of... uh, tricks her into coming into the hotel room and then makes it very clear this is uh, this is an aggressive rape situation that we're about to deal with. Allison manages to um, kick him in the genital area and get out of there, right? But it was a close call. She was very scared um, and, and very much assaulted. Okay? Yeah. So then she goes back. Um, she goes back and she's very upset. She's yelling. Obviously, Billy's uh, kind of boyfriend instincts uh, kick in. But he takes Allison to the police instead of doing some kind of vigilante justice thing. And the police, they handle it not the best. But they believe Allison and they arrest Keith 
at the airport. So we see Keith checking in at the airport and literally he has just arrived there. And the, the woman behind the counter says, great, your flight leaves in five minutes. Head on over this way. <laughs> it felt like that that was my question. Is that what it was like in 1993? Like you just stroll in and they're like, oh, you got so you got five minutes to kill. <laughs> there's no security. It's fine. Just run on in. Well, you think there's no security. But moments later, Keith is arrested right in front of that very kind uh, airport attendant. Um, obviously arrested for the attempted rape of Allison. But the part that I thought was high art for the generations, capturing the human condition, and it, it was just a scene that people today, us probably, Mary, would never recognize that just like, saunter on in. He didn't, he, he wasn't even stressed about being late. Were they going to hold the plane for him? No, and he had canceled his ticket too, on top of it. Like, and they just still had it. They're like, oh, okay, you can have it. It's fine. Like, this isn't weird. I do th- I do think it was like you had to physically be holding the ticket and you could just pass it off to someone else, I think. <laughs> Is that what it was like in the 90s? I don't know. I didn't fly anywhere. I don't know. Well, then I guess I don't see the point in continuing the episode this week, Mary. All right. I'm going to go mow the lawn. <laughs> Anyway, that was my hard point for the generation, just capturing air travel in the 90s and how different it looked. And, and quite frankly, I think if you transported the folks from the 90s, um, Keith, the airport attendant, the officer into the world today and showed them just the cluster that is airport security, I think they'd be very confused. Oh, yeah, I think that would be fair. I, I also like the moment toward the end where Billy shows up at the airport. And he just walks up and you can just buy a ticket to get out of place yeah. now. Which, I mean, maybe you can still do that, but I feel like you'd have to go through a lot of security or something. I it, I don't know. It was like the equivalent of buying a bus ticket. It's like, oh, I'm just going on a trip. I'm going to buy a ticket right now. I Although I do, I'm thinking back to season one and there was that episode where Billy, uh, why did he go to the airport? I don't remember, but he was in his taxi and he parked right the front of that airport. That Valley Fair airport, yeah. <laughs> that was a fun airport scene, too. Do you know what else the good people of the 90s would be confused by if they came to an airport today? What? The price. First of all, the fact that we have bottled water. And second, the price of it. <laughs> it's highway robbery. I don't think bottled water was popularized yet in 1993. No, I don't remember having bottled water at that point. Well, no, but I mean in cities, Mary. Was that a thing? Did you have bottled water? <laughs> you know, I worked at the state fair in our in our very good state. And I, I seem to vividly recall one of the years that bottled water had become a thing. And the prior it had not. Could that have been due to the crypto spiritium? <laughs> I was just thinking, uh, now that I'm remembering, yes, that a crypto spiritium outbreak in Milwaukee. Oh, okay, I good, good people. Uh, so Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. Th- this is just going to sound like a, a political ad for why we need to pass the Biden infrastructure bill. But <laughs> Milwaukee's water system pulls water directly out of Lake Michigan, but it can only handle so much water and the rainwater and the sewer water is mixed together. And I might be having this all wrong. But uh, in 1993, when I was in middle school, there was so much rain that it just pumped the sewer water out into the lake because the storm 
drains couldn't handle it all. I don't know why. And quite frankly, I, I never wanted to learn why, but everybody got <laughs> sick with cryptosporidium. Um, I remember I remember specifically being at school one day and it was like a ghost town because over 90% of the students were gone because of cryptosporidium. We had to be boiling our water. There's like, I was able to drink it just how many of those kids do you think really had cryptosporidium and how many wanted to just stay home? Because I would have just stayed home. I don't know. But you know what? There was a contingent of students. This is going to sound shocking to some who did not want to go to school because I remember in middle school as well. There was um, it was near the end of the year. It was eighth grade. And one day we got a bomb threat to the school. So they emptied the building out. Everybody had to leave class. We all got to hang out outside for an hour. I was hanging out with the teacher, so that that tells you all you need to know about me. And <laughs> it, it was great. And then the next day, it happened again, and oh. then again. And then on the fourth day, it happened at the start of the day instead of the end of the day. And then so they came over the announcements, and they said, enough of this. Anyone who has information about who is making these bombs, the first Plus who they are, there's a hundred dollar cash reward. And Mary, the people that ran out of classrooms <laughs> to to rat out their friends. So all that to say, yes, I bet those people all would have uh, stayed home optionally for crypto spree. But I was in school. You were a dedicated scholar. Yeah, hanging out with the teachers. Yeah, you wanted to see the teachers. <laughs> So all that to say, yes, uh, the good people of the 90s, they'd be shocked that we're charging for bottled water. And yes, you're probably right. There may be a connection between the, the cryptosporidium outbreak and Milwaukee itself seeming to embrace bottled water. <laughs> I'll give you that. Oh, what a happy memory. <laughs> Mary, did you, um, I don't know how we got on this point. It'll be fun to re-listen to this conversation when it airs in two months, but uh, did you happen to have a trashy point? Can we? We should get back to our work. Sure, sure. I will preface this by saying I didn't find a lot of really trashy things this week, as I would describe trashy, but I found some very soap opera-y things. Uh, so okay. I have those. And my first I've titled, Why Does the Show Keep Making Amanda the Third Wheel? Um, and I'm going to preface this point. Uh, I'm going to bring up, there's a little plot line with Matt. And it kind of fits with this, but I'm worried if I don't talk about it, we won't talk about Matt otherwise, so I'm going to bring it in. Uh, so there's a scene toward the beginning of the episode where Matt's sitting on the stairs outside of Amanda's apartment, just kind of looking sad. And she walks down and she's like, oh, what's wrong? And he says, I just miss Rhonda. That's all. We could always talk to each other when one of us was down. And I really legit felt sad for Matt because like, he just looks sad and that's fair. And Amanda, she... She turns it on. I'll give her credit. She says, you know, you can talk to me. I know we don't know each other well, but maybe that's better. Maybe that's more comfortable. And so he kind of opens up and he says, you know what? I got laid off from my job today. They're closing the halfway house because they don't have funding. And I got to find a new job. I got to look at the want ads. And at first, Amanda's like, oh, like that really sucks. I'm so sorry. But, you know, go out there, hit the bricks. You're going to find something. You're smart and personable. You won't be out of a job for long. And Matt smiles and he's like, thank you. That's really nice. And he gets up to leave and go in his apartment. And then she keeps talking. And she's like, uh, the first of the month is coming up. Do you have enough money put away for you? <laughs> and I was like, Amanda. And he tenses up because he's Matt. And he's kind of curtly goes, don't worry, you'll get your money. And she's like, oh, that's not what I meant. And that's exactly what you meant. <laughs> what else did you mean? <laughs> and so 
she admittedly she looks like she feels bad right after this she bumps into jake and joe and they're walking in and i don't at first had no idea what the hell jake was wearing because it looks like he's wearing like a child's buzz lightyear costume because it's like green and purple and white it's, i didn't know this he's wearing and so he asks amanda what's wrong and she's like I just think sometimes I'm a little too blunt with people and I should work on that. And Joe goes, yeah, it couldn't hurt. Yeah. That's coming from Joe, who is from New York City. She's from New York City, damn it. And so Amanda asks what they've been doing because she kind of gestures at his weird outfit. And he says they've been at like motocross racing, like bike racing. And Joe says she's not thrilled about it because they're having to fit this into the shop's budget. And then... Amanda compliments his outfit. It says mm-hmm. it's a great. And I wrote, has she been worked by looking at Mancini designs? Question mark. I don't know. Mike <laughs> uh, turns around a little theatrically and he like wiggles his butt and he shows there's a patch that says Jake's bikes right above his butt. And she goes, oh yeah, wonderful promo. <laughs> yeah. This is funny. That's uh, what the shop needed. Oh yeah. Uh, Amanda wants to come and watch him race and they're like, okay, like you can come along tomorrow and Joe looks a little uncomfortable, and after she leaves, she reminds Jake, like, you live with me, remember? And, oh, the tension. And so we cut later to the motorbike race, and it's like, vroom, vroom, and there's motorbikes everywhere, and Amanda's ooing and eyeing, and Joe is taking pictures, and she can't believe these shots. They're amazing. Although, how would she know? Because she can't see them yet. She hasn't developed them. Amanda turns on her charm, and she's like, hey, you know, I need some shots for a beer campaign why don't you bring these into D&D tomorrow? And Joe's like, sweet, all right. And then Jake wins his race and everyone is happy and we see them get back to the complex. Amanda turns on the charm and she invites them to her place and they could order Chinese or pizza. And Joe gets an inkling of what's going on here. And she's like, oh, we can't. I've got to develop my photos. And Amanda says, oh, well, of course, of course you do. Okay, well, Jake, if you're free for dinner, you can come over. <laughs> and Joe stops her. He's like, no, he has to help me. And Jake is a moron because he's Jake. And he's like, really? You never needed my help before. <laughs> and Joe says, I do too. <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, and then Jake asks what she needs help with. And he says, I need your help staying out of Amanda's apartment. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, near the end of the episode, to close up the map part, we see him leaving for a job interview. And he's in a suit. And he runs into Jake outside. And Matt pointedly says Michael got him the job interview because he did and he's trying mm-hmm. to help boost Michael's likability around the complex and Jake is incredulously like Michael <laughs> which is <laughs> uh, and Jake's like oh Matt you'll get the job just turn on a little bit of that white hot sincerity <laughs> I thought that was funny too and Amanda comes along and she apologizes to Matt about the other day she's like I didn't mean to sound insensitive it's just that sometimes I am <laughs> which is that's perfect that sums her up Matt's like, that's fine. She says, if you need Grace time on the rent, that's fine. And he thanks her and he hops off to his interview. Jake has overheard this. And so oh, he's like, that was nice of you, Amanda. And she's like, I try to keep that part of my personality hidden, which is another funny line. She has a lot of funny lines this week. And then he goes over and admires her car, which is, is it a Porsche? I think that's what it is. I think they established that later. And he starts asking these sort of suggestive flirty questions like, how does it handle tight steering? Really feel the road. And she's like, well, if you really want to know, why don't you drive me to work? He's like, oh, no, I can't. And she's like, you can just keep the car all day and pick me up later. And there's flirty music and they're kind of. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, look out, Joe. 
because <laughs> troubles are ruined. And here's what I'll say. I don't like that Amanda is being made into a third wheel again on the heels of the Allison and Billy love triangle. Um, it's not that I don't think Amanda could break up other couples, but I feel like Amanda is this really confident, accomplished, direct, and frankly, very hot woman. She could find a man anywhere if she wants to. And in the real world, outside of a soap opera, she'd never be limited to this like shallow little Melrose place fishing pond. Like let her go fish. Like it'd also be an excuse to bring out another hot guy actor, which wouldn't hurt. And this isn't as egregious as the Amanda and Billy pairing, because I feel like these two actually do have chemistry, but still it's like, God, we just finally got Jake and Joe to move in together. It's been like every other week, this back and forth. Like, can we have like three or four episodes in a row where they're a couple before we immediately start breaking them up again? Like, Oh my God. It's a lot. Why do you think, Amanda saying, I don't mean to sound insensitive. It's just that sometimes I am. <laughs> it's such a moment. I think it just encapsulates her so much. Cause I mean, that's just exactly that, that hits the nail on the head. That's her character. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, how many times already she's only been on for like half of a season total. And like, she does this shit all the time. It's great. <laughs> Not even, I think she came in episode 26. I don't remember. I don't remember. Nope, it was before that. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny line, and it's so she delivers it so matter of factly too. Maybe so well, like there's no bones about it. She's just like, "This is who I am. Screw you if you don't like it. Kiss my ass." Like, <laughs> I don't know. She's uh, like. Heather Locklear is a really good actress, too. I mean, she can pull off these little moments that, I mean, in one tone of voice, she's being a bitch. But you can genuinely see, like, she felt bad that she hurt Matt's feelings. Like, she comes across as very on both sides of that coin with just the flip of a finger, which is really impressive. All right. Well, uh, my second high art point was the quote, I don't mean to sound insensitive. It's just that sometimes I am. Because that, that speaks to me. But instead, uh, I'll punt. I'm just explaining why my next point is, is not fully thought through. <laughs> but I will say um, it was Billy uh, calling Gay Cameron and asking Cameron to tell Nancy that he'll be out for two days. <laughs> and, I, and so the, the, that's how the episode ended. You know, dramatic music, guitar lick. Billy's going to Seattle. He's at the airport where the flight leaves in five minutes. Um, <laughs> but what struck me as the, the high art piece was Billy didn't call Nancy. <laughs> Nancy will take his calls. We know that, right? She'll oh, take his anything. Yes, she will. <laughs> but I think, you know, when, you, when you're calling into work and you're not going, but you should, you, you don't talk to the boss. You don't do that. No, no. Oh, that was a really, I love that little moment because, I, you know, I just, I liked Cameron as a character. I don't think we see him much anymore after any of this, but um, it was just a nice little character moment where you could tell Cameron's giving him shit on the other side of the phone. <laughs> it was fun. I still, you know, one of my favorite moments in the series may be in, in season one. I'll stick with that. Billy <laughs> saying, well, you know, it was a big school. And Cameron just saying, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was not a big school. 
it was he's just such a fun little character like he really we see him so little when he's on the show but i he's just such a satisfying foil to billy because billy's like such a doofus (laughs) so to see someone a little smarter than billy call him out on things is so much fun i love it i love it too well mary that's those are my first two high art points i'm saving the best for last of course but oh. my high art points were your flight leaves in five minutes and <laughs> Billy Billy asking Gay Cameron to cover for him. Is it bad that I'm calling him Gay Cameron? No, I think we agree that he's that character is gay. Oh, you can't say it, Mary. <laughs> okay, but I agree with you that you think it's <laughs> gay. I think maybe I think we talked about this when he was on too, and to me he. He's very coded it as the like the show is implying that he's gay, even if maybe they yeah. couldn't call him that for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's gay as can be. Why are we talking about him? He's not on the show anymore. He's like Rhonda. Why didn't they have him and Matt get together just to keep Cameron around even more? I would have liked that. Matt's single. Why not? Now, of course, as people know, and our listeners will surely email us, it is called a TriCast in the UK because, of course, it is. And a Tierce in Hong Kong and a Triactor in Canada and a Tierce in France. And yes, I'm reading from Wikipedia, but that's okay. (laughs) Because this week's episode reflected what we call a boxed trifecta. No. Oh, let me tell you. This This is where the money is. And this episode with the trifecta with Amanda and Sydney and Kimberly all in the same episode for the first time ever. It is a boxed trifecta. A boxed trifecta is where you don't pick who is first, who is second, and who is third, but you just correctly pick the top three in any order. And that's what we have this week, a boxed trifecta, because who's to say who's the more entertaining character of the three? Certainly not me. Oh, no. But they're all here. Yay. And this box trifecta was sponsored this week by Super Gonorrhea. Now available in white, yellow, and green discharge. Oh my god. (laughs) It's why this episode, in its original airing, it was a special episode. There were no commercial breaks. It just had one special sponsor celebrating the box trifecta. Oh my god. It is our good friends at Super Gonorrhea. They're not my good friends. Listen, as we said last season, according to the CDC, little now stands in the way between us and uncurable gonorrhea. (laughs) And with Sydney's arrival, nothing stands in the way now. (laughs) Oh, that beach house. I feel like they need to send the CDC in there. (laughs) Put a stop to some things that are going to happen. Do you think, does Michael ever hook up with Jane at the beach house? I don't remember if it's at the beach house, but I feel like they do at least once after the divorce, don't they? We got to keep an eye on this. Because, yeah, I think there's a storyline where he cheats with Jay. They might at the beach house. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye out. We'll keep an eye out. Because if, if that's the case, then the beach house is the trifecta. Oh, wait, no. I, the beach house is a super I think the beach house is a super spreader. <laughs> the, 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 the beach house itself should be sponsored by Super Gonorrhea. <laughs> There's a little sign out front. 
they need a little sign you know how like outside some doors they have the sign that says like in this house we believe you know that black lives matter and i know human is illegal and love is love right (laughs) you've also seen outside some houses that uh signs that say um live laugh love so i know karen Karen lives there you don't want to forget to do those things or sometimes there's a sign that says wipe your feet Sometimes there's one that says wipe your paws. Or or my favorite, no soliciting. Please deliver packages in the back. <laughs> but this the beach house could very well have a sign with a picture of Allison holding up a condom saying, How do you look in this? <laughs> they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble if they had that sign. Do you know, Mary, do you think any of our listeners who just skipped season one and just jumping in with us now are going to be confused at all the season one references we make? Do you think there's going to be a lot of listeners like that? Yeah. And you know what? Frankly, dear listener, new listener, glad you're here, but you deserve it. We had to do the hard work of listening to season one, and so should you. I I, 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 I find it the best approach is to yell at our listeners. It works like a charm. I mean, it works for Mancini. He's yelling at everybody. And we are back for the second half of season two, episode two, A Long Night's Journey. I'm Tej. I have I have just a knockout point this time for why this show is high art for the generations. But I'm going to save it. So much restraint. Uh, I'm Mary. I'd like to bring a point uh, about why this is a trashy soap opera again, if I may. Well, yes, but before we get into it, oh. I would like to uh, tell our dear listeners about a, a pop culture tragedy that is happening right now. And by right now, I mean the middle of May. Not when this is airing. Oh, dear. Well, as as our good listeners, who knows what, what the condition of the world is in two months from now. But uh, as of today, we're reopening society. Masks aren't required indoors anymore. People are worried about that. And everybody's thinking about how the hybrid workforce of the future is going to be different. Have you seen this article, Mary? Um, nope. I don't believe I have. No. It's by it's from Medium, which I don't know who the who goes for Medium. You go small, you go large, right? Whatever. <laughs> Extra large. <laughs> or you. <laughs> anyway, so they said the micro generation, formerly known, if you ask me, as Zennials, so kind of a, an X, then millennials, right? Okay. Uh, people born between 1980 and 1985 were a cusp generation. I'm included in this because we were born in our childhood existed before the tech boom, but we were still young enough that we adjusted well to it as it was coming, right? So we have that kind of unique experience. Uh-huh. But these assholes at Medium referred to us as geriatric millennials. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why the hybrid workforce of the future just depends on the quote, geriatric millennial. Oh God. Well, I don't even qualify for that. What the hell am I then? <laughs> God. I don't even want to say. I mean, you're a young, fresh Xer. I guess. Yeah, I just it made me so angry because I get it. There is something unique about that. um, uh, That micro generation, I I believe the sociology behind it, Um, but we didn't need that term. That was we didn't need that. Nobody was asking for that from you. 
I do like that every couple of years they change the date range of that group. <laughs> it does seem a little fluid. <laughs> well, even still. All right, Mary, hit us with your first trashy point. I just, Let's see if this geriatric millennial can understand. Yeah, can you keep up? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about the beginnings of what I'm going to call a ginger love triangle. Ooh. It's, it's beginning. I forgot that it starts this fast. Uh, so we've got the Kimberly and Michael situation. And they've been, you know, canoodling. And... Uh, last episode, uh, they were going to move in together, but then Michael had to be like, I can't live with you or you have to hide all your stuff and pay the rent because I can't be seen with you. And she was cool with that. But now this week, she pulls Michael aside at the hospital one day to tell him that she got subpoenaed by Jane's divorce attorneys. And yeah. she's been named as the other woman. Yeah. Now she's suddenly concerned it's going to damage their reputations. <laughs> like, and she's like well this is getting really ugly and i don't like it and quote this isn't exactly what i wished for as a little girl sneaking around lawsuits adultery (laughs) michael of course reacts in a pissy way and he's like i was looking for an intelligent woman but i guess i didn't luck out like what the hell by the way by the way you were married you son (laughs) (laughs) yeah he left that out uh, I was looking for a knight on a white horse, not a moody intern with a crazy wife on his back. <laughs> like, ooh. Can... He was married and he was wearing his ring. You knew that too, Kimberly. There are no innocents in this duo. Uh, he gets even madder and he says, well, I'm just going to move out. Now your problems are solved. Because that's how he reacts to everything. We cut later. To... Uh, she is paying the rent. So. <laughs> right, right. And so, but Kimberly has a change of heart later. They're at the beach house and she's like, you don't have to move out. And he's like, well, you said all those things at the hospital. And she's like, well, so did you. <laughs> and she says, we fight all the time. That's our destiny. And I wrote, that doesn't sound as good as you think it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they start making out and he apologizes and she tells him to shut up. I hate a sensitive man. And I wrote, well, good news. <laughs> you haven't found one. Um, oh, Mary, I'm so glad you picked that because I thought she said, I want a sensitive man. And I didn't understand why she was telling him to shut up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, and so later we cut back to the beach house and they're cuddling in bed after they've been doing it. And he starts in on Jane and how she shouldn't have any right to his future earnings because he's the one who went to medical school. And Kimberly kind of backs him up. She's like, I've never understood women living off their husbands. I think each person should make it on their own. And that's why we're such a perfect pair. And I was like, uh, does this mean he's helping with the rent now? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, because he's Michael and he's, you know, done his heel turn now, he starts talking about, well, maybe we can get around Jane's lawyers at these depositions. Kimberly stops and she's like, it might be true love to us, but to everyone else, it's adultery. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like not if it didn't happen there's no evidence that i know of it's just her word against ours and i wrote uh do you guys remember make it out right in the hospital parking lot multiple times like someone probably saw you but anyway uh he says if they coordinate and they tell the same stories at these depositions then it's two respectable doctors against one crazed jealous wife and kimberly laughs and she's like ah a united front to save your funds she says she's partial to helping him out, wink, wink, but she needs to be 
persuaded wink wink and he responds i don't know twice in one day that's a lot to ask of a struggling physician and she says don't you worry dr mancini i'll do all the work i always do and then she climbs on top of him oh boy but then but then but is there more there's more because this is a love triangle that's starting yeah from the windy city sydney has arrived in this episode sydney Sydney is back and she has ostensibly been sent by her mother to help her sister during her time of crisis uh, which is hilarious because i don't know why you would send sydney to do anything like that but i suspect the mother just wanted to get her out of chicago and get her away from her so uh sydney is at first you know she's trying to be supportive of jane in her weird way and then later toward the end of the episode she calls michael secretly at his beach house Mm -hmm. and she's Mm -hmm. like i feel so bad for you is there anything i could do and he's you know smart and so he asks well does jane know you're calling she's like oh no she'd kill me (laughs) (laughs) he sees his opening and he takes it he invites her to lunch the next day and sydney is delighted jane walks in as she hangs up and she thanks her for being a good sister and I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> we already know where this is going. Uh, so we see Sydney and Michael go to lunch and she tells him how much she misses him. And he asks how Jane's doing. And then he pushes a little and he asks, well, hey, Sydney, could you talk to Jane for me? Like, don't say it was my idea, but could you get her to lower the divorce stake so it won't be so hard? And Sydney's like, he tells Sydney that Jane's going after these damages and future earnings. And he says, you know how Jane gets like, Oh, she's so crazy. Every time you cheat on her, she's, Oh, the marriage is over. (laughs) Uh, He tells Sydney that Jane's lawyer is sleazy and he's making Jane act all crazy. Sydney says, you know, Jane doesn't tell me about all this legal stuff, but I'll try to find a way to bring it up. And Michael lays it on extra thick then because now he's got her. And he says, you know, I'm always going to love Jane no matter what. And he smiles really big, goes, I love the whole family. And <laughs> he never meant to hurt anyone. Oh, and Sydney goes, oh, I just know you didn't. I, I believe you. And she grabs his hand and there's a meaningful glance. And I just wrote, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> I want to say all three of these actors do a fantastic job with these scenes. Like they are so well cast. Mancini is such a turd. But when he smiles like that and he starts talking, you can see how these women would fall for it. Uh, Kimberly is or Marcia shot. She's so good at playing this where she comes across like this really smart, pragmatic woman on one hand, like she's got one foot in reality. Like she's talking about how this is adultery and blah, blah, blah. But then she's also on the other hand, so charmed by this jackass that she'll just keep jumping back on for more literally and figuratively. Oh God, Mary. And then Sydney, who we really have only spent like, was it two episodes in season one? We yep. are kind of a little shit and she is played so well in the way she comes across as she's just desperate for people to like like her because i think she genuinely wants to be good to jane but she's so into michael and so wanting to one-up jane all the time that she legitimately seems like she'd be dumb enough to fall for what michael's saying too (laughs) but at the end of the day this is all very soap opera this is very i mean and it's great. I, it's very enjoyable, but it is very soap opera. Uh, well, I think she wants to be treated like an adult. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So you said it was clear Michael realized he had his opening. What do you think he was realizing he could do? Like, do you think he, he was like, oh, I can start an affair with Sydney? 
I don't know. I don't know if he's thought that far ahead yet or not. No, he, I, I think he, he realized he can use Sydney against Jane. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't think he has any interest in Sydney. I think you're probably right at this point. He's still trying to wrangle. He's already like got two women he's trying to deal with between Jane and Kimberly. I think you're probably not interested in bringing on a third yet. (laughs) Yes. Well, do you know, do you know what else is significant about this storyline, Mary? What? We have not, we, we got it. We got there. We now have all three in one episode. This is the first time all three of them are here. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All three, of course, being uh, Sydney, Kimberly, and Amanda. The oh. the real stars of the show, if you ask. Well, anyone who watched. They are, I would say, three of the best characters from what I've seen. They're They're very fun. Well, Mary, can I tell you my final high art point for the generations? Oh, my God. I can't wait. It's a direct quote again. Let me prepare myself for the delivery. (laughs) Well, that's it. The whole marriage. Nothing but a useless, a pile of useless crap. I don't know if I need to explain anything else to explain why I thought this was high art, Mary. <laughs> oh, God. But here's here's what happened is uh, we come into Jane's apartment and she is what I assume creating a pile of Michael stuff in the living room floor, just throwing things. Look at she realizes there's a photo of her and Michael on the wall. She takes it down. Now, why she's just taking it down now? Never covered. But who cares? <clears throat> she's throwing, throwing photos. Broke a frame, and I just wrote, like, girl, I feel you. I get it. I've been there, right? And she takes a piece of art, and she throws it, and the frame breaks. And she drops her shoulders, and she's like, well, that's it. The whole marriage. Nothing but a pile of useless crap. <laughs> um, so I think that captured <laughs> that captured marriage. Uh, I'll leave it there. But uh, the rest of the storyline, Michael comes by, and Joe sees him and intercepts and tries to stop him. Mm-hmm which I thought was interesting, but we learned that Jane invited Michael specifically to give him this useless pile of crap that is their marriage. (laughs) (laughs) But my favorite part of this, Jane splits up the china that I assume they got for their wedding. Yeah. And she says, here's your half. Now, first of all, there are not two pieces of everything in a set of china. So that's one thing. How'd you split the gravy bowl, Jane? Second, Michael, I think fairly correctly says, what am I going to do with half a set of China? (laughs) And for some reason, that was what it took to set Jane off. (laughs) And she just starts whipping the the China plates at him. And, he, you know, (laughs) they're crashing everywhere. They're breaking. And he grabs a big pillow and is hiding behind it. And a plate lands on the pillow. And somehow shattered against the pillow. Did you catch that? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> She's, uh, listen, I don't know how, maybe the, maybe the plates were like made of sugar cane or whatever. You know how they, they make that fake glass? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Or she was just throwing it so hard that it actually did shatter on the pillow. That's how mad she was. <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, it didn't bounce off the pillow and then break. It broke against the pillow. It's a stiff pillow, you know? 
It's a stiff pillow. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know. That, that, that was my high art point. Uh, the whole marriage, nothing but a pile of useless crap. <laughs> you know, when, when they just say it so plainly for me. <laughs> uh, and I heard that line. I said, I don't need to cover that. Cause <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> I think that's going to get taken care of. <laughs> It is. It is. Mary, did you have one more trashy point? I do have one more trashy point. Um, I would like to preface this by saying I, I, I do. I am not calling the storyline related to this trashy, but this detail I found a little, a little difficult to wrap my head around. Okay, so I, we're at the end. We haven't even really talked about what happened with Allison and Keith much during this, which is the main plot line, but uh. Toward the end, uh, Allison has gone to the cops. She describes a situation where Keith has to rape her. Uh, he's been dragged in, like you said, from the airport. He, they're, so, they're all at the police station at the same time. And so Billy and Allison are still there. They had already talked to the investigator. Uh, I didn't realize they just keep people there at the police station. I, I don't know. I've not been in this situation. Uh, so the, meanwhile, they're talking to Keith in the other room, the investigator. The investigator comes back and she's like, uh, you know, I have bad news. The DA's office doesn't have evidence to charge Keith, so we have to let him go. She says, I'm inclined to believe you, Allison, but uh, like we can't charge him. But if Keith ever bothers you again, let me know and we'll have him arrested and brought in. And so obviously Allison and Billy are disappointed and they walk out of her office and they walk right into Keith. <laughs> like, okay. And this is where I was like, like, would this happen? I don't know. Maybe it does. But it seems like in real life, they would, even if they've decided Keith hasn't done anything, it seems like the cops would make an effort to keep them away from each other, even if they don't believe Allison's story, just to keep the peace. Like, but okay. So they walk right into each other. And he is, of course, lied to the investigator. And he said, Allison was the one who's been too possessive in the relationship. And he tried to get rid of her. So he says, kind of smarmily, that he's off to Seattle. And he says, Allison, I'm so sorry you felt like you had to go through with this charade. But no hard feelings, okay? And she's clearly super creeped out. She's kind of cowering behind Billy. And he glares at, Keith glares at Billy and he says, see ya, sport. And it's real creepy. And uh, so again... I'm not criticizing the storyline because I think generally they handled it well. I mean, it's, it is very soap opera-y, but I felt like Allison's character throughout it reacted in a way that was realistic to based on the horrible crap happening to her, like that she started drinking and that she didn't want to talk about things and she felt ashamed and she was crying and all that. And I think it was believable how she had kept trying to let Keith down easily because it's almost like maybe she sensed she needed to be careful and strategic just to get mm -hmm. him out of there and get him back to Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, but this particular moment where these two people just casually kind of bumped into each other at the police station at the close of an active investigation where Keith had just been interrogated, even, I, I don't know. I'm like, really? They wouldn't have made any effort to not let them out into the same room at the same time. And also, sidebar, I'm not an attorney, but it seems like, were they not made aware of Allison's previous visit to the police about the stalking that was happening and that that timeline matched up with when Keith showed up in town? Like, wouldn't that constitute something? I don't know. Again, I'm not an attorney, but this was the part where I was like, eh, soap opera. -y. 
that happens, right? I don't know if it does or not. It seems to me like it wouldn't. I mean, unless there were some sort of mix up or something, or they were just so busy that they weren't thinking. But like, if I were a cop and I were working with people in that moment, I would, I would make an effort to, again, not have them walk out. It's not like they're leaving the building. I mean, they're within the, the actual office space. Like once they're out of the building, whatever happens happens but i'm like they're both like right in the bullpen where the cops are like i don't know it but just... i've seen that a ton of times on tv shows Does i see i don't know i don't watch a lot of those shows either so i don't know maybe this is perfectly normal and i'm just having a weird reaction to it but <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> well beard did you have any other highlights you wanted to make reference to I had a couple, not as many as normal, so it won't be as long-winded. Uh, I enjoyed in the very beginning, Allison and Billy are in bed waking up in the morning, and he says, I love you, you make me happy, and she goes, vice versa. <laughs> that was a funny way to respond to that. Uh, she's getting ready for her dinner with Keith, and Billy starts regaling her with more of his stalker research he did at work, and this is not... I don't know why I'm, la- I'm laughing because it's just weird. He starts telling this story that he read about this guy who was obsessed with his ex, whose name was Linda. And he would mumble Linda, 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 while he worked at the production line at a sausage factory. And I just wrote, this is very specific. Like, <laughs> had, like, was this a real like case that was famous or something? Or did the writers just make this up? Like, did they have a bet? Like, can we get the word sausage into the episode or something? It was just very odd um uh there's a little scene at the hospital where matt runs into michael and matt uh has been dropping off a resume uh he tells michael about what happened with the halfway house and michael says well i'll make sure you get an interview around here doctors walk on water and i wrote even michael mancy (laughs) i don't know (laughs) and michael this is when michael drops it that he knows everyone back at the complex is on jane's side and so Matt plays it up. And I mean, literally last week, Matt told him everyone was on Jane's side, too. So there's that. And now Matt kind of turns. He's like, well, I think there's two sides to every story. You know, I think whatever happened in your marriage isn't any of my business. And Michael replies, oh, I never knew you were so reasonable before, Matt. And Matt replies, well, you never got me a job interview before. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I had. Did you have so that, that you never got me a job interview before? Like that makes it so clear that it's purely transactional. And I think for anyone but Michael Mancini, that would <laughs> that would grade at them a little bit, right? Like, oh, you just said that because I got you a job interview. But he knows that's why he got Matt the job interview. <laughs> and Matt oh, knows it. And let's just put it out on the table. I appreciate it. It was very direct. It was funny. Did you have anything else? I know my favorite moment. Uh, this is what I'll say. I know I talked about it already. Um, was when Jane took that frame off the wall and threw it and the, the glass in it broke. <laughs> and I just... I, rem- I remember... I, I don't know if I, we've talked about this, Mary, if our listeners might have guessed this, that I've gone through a divorce. Um, and it colors my views of marriage. But there was a time when there was a huge dumpster for all the crap that we had accumulated. And there was a big framed thing of something that I got and I took it to throw it away and I got such joy out of smashing it into the dumpster. So I appreciated Jane in that moment. (laughs) Also, the dumpster was overflowing. There was a lot in the dumpster. I can verify. A lot. 
was a huge dumpster too. It was like seven, eight, twenty feet. I don't know. Anyway, but the, the smashing that was my favorite moment. I also, I no, I no, no, no. I want to talk about this. What the hell is up with masks? Like, okay, so I understand. I can say this because I'm a gay. I understand that they somehow needed to acknowledge Rhonda is gone, right? Because they didn't acknowledge it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if when the first episode aired, they didn't get some people. I don't know how you communicated with shows back then. Probably didn't. But if they didn't get some feedback of like, hey, where's Rhonda? <laughs> if you remember when Sandy left, we knew she wasn't coming back because Rhonda looked straight to camera, if I remember correctly, and said, she's gone. Sandy's gone. Right. So they <laughs> they made it pretty clear. Yeah. Whereas Rhonda got engaged and, and, and literally no other scene. That was it. That's the end of it. So they needed to acknowledge that. And, but the way they did it, they put Matt sad on her stairs, which let's go back to this. We argued about this last week, Mary. We did. Are, are you ready to concede? I, I don't want to concede because I think the show is wrong. Oh. <laughs> okay. Perhaps. Is but that- in the universe of the show. Listen, I, I stand by what I said because we saw the inside of that apartment at, toward the yeah. end, and that was not the apartment that Amanda's living in. It may geographically be where they have mapped it now, but it is not the same apartment. I said <laughs> they were right above Allison, and you said, no, they're not. But whatever. I accept your apology. But the, the, the part that was just so weird. Uh, okay, so they, they have Matt. He's sad. So they put him on the stairs. If you're missing, like, what the hell kind of adults would be like, I wish I could talk to someone. I'm going to go sit on the stairs to some other person's apartment now. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> like, did that make sense? I guess the way, because I, that, that caught me for a second too. And then I wondered if maybe he was just sitting on the stairs and like, maybe it wasn't, maybe he wasn't expecting to see Amanda. It was more just like he was sitting there. I don't know. It was a little awkward. I I think that's fair. But if, if say there was a time we stopped recording this podcast in the middle of season three for like three weeks, we take a break and you get sad because you miss me terribly. And what I have to say about marriage you ever go to the house I used to live in and sold and just sit on the stairs in sadness? I, I do that all the time. You do? Yeah, and then I wish that dumpster was there so I could throw some stuff in there. <laughs> I have a lot of glass to break. <laughs> Matt, that was crazy. But we have established in the universe of the show that Rhonda's gone. And I do not believe we will make any reference to her again until the series finale. You think? I suppose, though. I bet you're not wrong. I know they talk about her in the series finale. Oh, that's nice. Uh-huh. She'll have been gone a long time by then, too. Yeah. Like a really long time. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I'm glad they give her a little bit of her due. Yeah. Well, Mary, I, I think we, we just, we're just going to need one more week to settle this dispute. Although it did just take one week to, to get to the point where we now acknowledge that Amanda's living in Rhonda's old apartment. I don't fully acknowledge it, but I'll but it's it... clearly in the same place. I t- I just I don't believe it is correct. I right on the top of the stairs. Why would Matt be sitting outside Rhonda's apartment then? 
Well, because there's stairs all over the place. I mean, he could be sitting on. Oh, any- you're standing. You're holding. Okay. All right. All right. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. <laughs> we might need to rewatch season one. Mm, let's Con- get- concede, or we're going to rewatch season one. I I don't know that you have that kind of authority. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll just call it a special episode, and then we'll have to do it. <laughs> Maybe we should just have another crossover with some other Melrose Place fans and get a consensus. I don't think anybody. I don't think any of the other three podcasts uh, are that stubborn as either as both of us are being. I'm not being stubborn. I'm just being right. You're being stubborn. I'm. Here's what I will concede. You are right based on the evidence that has been provided. But, on, but I am right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, just can I? I want to make sure I'm understanding. <laughs> did you just say based on all available evidence, I'm correct? However, no, I did not. You, say, you on, have a feeling you, based on the evidence you have provided. I have not sought <laughs> the evidence. However, I I simply do not believe that that is the same apartment. Maybe here's I will offer the compromise that perhaps Amanda did some remodeling to the apartment when she moved in. But that is I, what I said last week. I don't think it is. Because you said Rhonda lived in Sydney's old apartment, future apartment, I over there. It was in a studio because she moved out of the one that Joe's in that had the yep. extra bedroom. And then she said, there's only one of me, so I don't need someplace big. I just need like a studio. We're already giving Rhonda much more airtime than she should have this season. <laughs> Well, she didn't get enough in season one either, so I feel like we're making up for it. <laughs> well, let's come back next week, Mary. Let's see if Rhonda shows up. Yeah, I'll if I have time, I'll go do some research too. The global pandemic wasn't the only thing that took the world by storm last year. Of course, I'm referring to the KonMari method. The Netflix show tidying up with Marie Kondo was just what so many people needed. Quarantining at home. Her revolutionary category by category cleaning methods inspired millions to dig into their closets and junk drawers and declutter their homes at the precise moment they were spending an awful lot of time stuck inside of them. People learned how to decide which items in their homes sparked joy and which didn't. And the nation's thrift shops and landfills quickly filled up with a glorious pile of cast offs. But now a new cleaning guru is ready to take stage. If you're not again, maybe it's time to try the Manjani method. The Manjani method was pioneered by alleged fashion designer Jane Mancini. <laughs> if you like Marie Kondo's method of deciding whether or not something sparks joy, you're going to love Jane's method. Are you sick and tired of joy? Well, Jane wants you to pick up every object and ask yourself, does this spark rage? Grab that photo of your ex-husband. Does it spark rage? Throw it on the floor. What about that box of China? Does it spark rage? Throw it at your ex-husband. <laughs> Go through your whole home. Touch everything. And everything that makes you mad, throw it in a big pile in the middle of the room that you can't even walk around. One by one, that pile will grow. Object by object. Because you're full of rage. And when you're all done, you're going to lean back and say to yourself, well, that's it. The whole marriage. Nothing but a pile of useless crap. <laughs> You can learn more by visiting manjaniemethod.biz. And if you enter promo code pile of crap, you can get 5% off ordering a hardcover copy of her new book. I wait to learn about this because, you know, I've been trying to clean my house. And I mean, who doesn't get sick of joy?
<laughs> what do you, do you have items in your house that bring you rage? That's a good question. Um, I feel you know there must be some things like I think there's some old clothes like from previous employers and things that I would pick up and go or current L. <laughs> or current employer. <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, yeah, I think I could I could enjoy doing that, you know, and having watched some other people I know get dumpsters and fill them with things that bring them rage. It's very free. <laughs> Listen, it's just a piece of glass, but there is something great about smashing it. It really is. It's a good moment. Especially when, like, it's in a dumpster and it's contained. Like, you don't have to clean it up. It's right. Right. Yeah. Jane was wrong in that one. Yeah. She could have done better. You know, maybe in the next version of her book, she'll address that. So what if the book itself brings you rage, Mary? Oh, well, you know what? She doesn't care as long as you've already paid for it. You throw it right <laughs> on the fill as fast as you can. And, and it's called the Jane Cini or the Manjani? It's the Manjani method. <laughs> it's going to take the world by raging storm. You're right. I think you're right. And I think at the end of the day, not only will these items make their way to the landfill, they'll, all, they'll be um, easier to break down because they'll be in smaller pieces. So it's an environmentally trashing things as well it really is you know this is a slight sidebar but i did enjoy in this episode i didn't like much about what keith did but there was a moment where he wanted to walk up hold on hold on, hold on. <laughs> just to be sure you're about... so in the episode where where keith explicitly tried to physically assault and rape at allison holding her hostage yeah. you're going to tell us what you liked about this there was only, only one thing i liked about that which was not that specific scene let me be very clear <laughs> It was okay. where they walked on the beach and he said, let's go look for medical waste. <laughs> and, <laughs> wouldn't it be beautiful? Yeah, what the hell was that? Wouldn't it be beautiful to be walking on the beach and just see this pile of Manjani books that people have thrown out just floating in the water? Because they sparked rage. They're gone now. <laughs> what a wonderful world. <laughs> oh, he needs to go back to the seal infested city and hit it. Go talk to the seals, Keith. When does Go. he when does he leave leave? I feel like it's gotta be coming up pretty soon, right? Cause So wait, seriously, how how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> But I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far so far okay. but there's also but then mary there's the the amazon has the true story of melrose place movie that we should cover oh god how long yeah and and uh, models inc has to be covered too wait what the hell is models inc it, it's a two-season spinoff of what what do they of, do? of melrose place from the lady from dynasty was on it i think the lady from dynasty my god this was like a whole industry and I do think 90210, to get to understand where this show came from, is probably worth exploring. I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Allie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how, do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so we're in for all of it. <laughs> oh, God.